Well, good evening. It's great to be here tonight. Uh, I know uh, there are many of you or some of you out there who are wondering what happened to me. Well, the short of it is that uh, mom passed along a bunion problem and I made it to my right foot. Uh, She got that from her mother. And so we had three generations at least of bunion issues. Uh, Thankfully, um, it wasn't on my left foot as I'm left footed. Um, And it just one foot. So um, honestly, people ask me, have you had a lot of pain? And the truth is, I really haven't had a great deal of pain at all. I've just had a few hiccups. And I mean that quite literally. Um, Apparently, we found out the day after my surgery, uh, one of the possible potential side effects of of, um, anesthesia are hiccups. And I had chronic hiccups all day long. And of course, with hiccups comes everyone around you telling you how to get rid of hiccups. And so I had that side effect as well. Other than that, I've just been a little inconvenienced, and I've managed to inconvenience a lot of people around me. So I thank you for your service, for your patience, and uh, for being an encouragement during this time. Uh, during this time, though, I, ha- I have uh, discovered a new favorite uh, passage of Scripture that's become my personal favorite. It's from Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Amen. But I can tell you that I once ran. I did. I was athletic. Back when I was a kid, our church, uh, our church building didn't have classrooms for some time. And so we went across the road and we used the elementary school's classrooms for Bible class. And every Sunday morning, right when the teacher said, class is dismissed, that was like the shot of a gun. We were out the door, all, at least all the boys, and it was a race to see who could get in the front door of the church building first. Let me tell you, that race every, that race every single Sunday morning was important to me. I won many of those races. I was athletic. Also, during that time, I had convinced myself that I was part machine. I believed that if I pushed a button in my mind, a button in my mind, I could run that much more faster. You see, it's not hard to have self-confidence when you believe that you're part machine. But not all my friends could run very fast or hardly run at all. I had a friend named Gavin. He was a little older than me, and he was born with the disease of polio. His run was more of a hobble or a limp. He didn't have a coordination to even to ride a bicycle. But one weekend, I spent it with Gavin at his house. And that Saturday morning, we got up And he wanted to ride a bike. He wanted to learn how to ride a bike. So we worked all day long trying to learn how to ride a bike. Let me tell you, by the end of the day, he had scrapes all over the side of his house, because that's where we practiced, in the driveway. But he also had bumps and bruises all over his body. But let me tell you this. By the end of that day, Gavin had learned how to ride a bicycle just like any other kid could do. When I was 12 years old, I was the star pitcher for our baseball team. We never won a game, but I was a star pitcher. <laughs> I had an ERA of, about, of somewhere in the 20s. For those of you who don't know baseball very well, um, that means I gave up a lot of runs. It was just kind of a, a common knowledge that when I threw the ball and they hit the ball, the ball was probably going to go through someone's legs or, or over someone's head. That was probably going to happen. In fact, I remember one time one of the coaches asked me, he said, Cody, would you pitch the doubleheader today? Would you pitch both games of the doubleheader? 
I was only 12 years of age, but I knew that pitchers didn't do that. I said, no, coach, I can't do that. But after a few innings in the second game, I said, you know what? That's not such a bad idea after all. Uh, you can go ahead and put me back in there. For someone that was part machine or kind of thought he was at one time, I couldn't help but notice that when I came into middle school and high school that the check engine light was starting to come on. And you know what I found since then is the check engine light tends to come on quite often. Some of you out there know exactly what I'm talking about. Something wasn't quite wrong with my baseball game. You see, whenever I, in middle school and high school, right before I would throw the ball, I developed a lack of self-confidence. And right before I was going to throw the ball, something told me that, Cody, that ball is not going to go where you want it to go. And so right before I would release the ball, I would have that in my head, and so the ball would come out really softly because I didn't want to mess it up. Or it would go in any kind of direction, you, you name it, on the ground or in the air. And it gets a little frustrating, a little embarrassing when you start hurting teammates in practice. I mean, it's just not meant to be. And so I was really intrigued last month when I, was, I turned on the TV and there was a special on this baseball player, this Mets catcher from 1990 by the name of Mackie Sasser. Mackie had um, RSPP, which is Repetitive Sports Performance Problem. That's what psychologists psychologist diagnosed it with. You see, Mackie, he could hit the ball. He could catch the ball. He could throw a guy out at second base. He could do all those things, but he developed a problem with being able to just throw the ball back to the pitcher during a game. Sometimes he would, he would even call a timeout and say, I need to go talk to my pitcher. And the only reason he called timeout was he just wanted to take the ball back to his pitcher. The headlines that he read in the paper were things like Mackey's throwing his career away. His home fans would ridicule him, mock him out loud during the game. His coaches humiliated him. That didn't help. And so really the question that comes to mind after all that is, you know, why don't you just quit? I mean, is this really worth it? I want you to think about all those little stories and connect some dots as we go through the sermon tonight. Tonight we are doing a brief overview of the book of Hebrews. I hope you'll go back and study and read the book of Hebrews. The last few weeks I've just been saturating my heart and my mind in the book of Hebrews. The author of Hebrews writes to a tired and discouraged church that needed to be revived. These readers were obviously questioning whether or not it was worth it to be a Christian. He reminds them and he inspires these Christians of all the blessings and the truths they have and that can only be found in Jesus Christ. I want to start in Hebrews chapter 1. This has always been one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. I love how he just jumps out there and he says this. He says in chapter 1 beginning in verse 1, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became just as much superior to the angels as the name he inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. 
And speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds, his servants flames of fire. But about the sun, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. And righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and you've hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says, in the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment. They will be changed, but you remain the same and your years will never end. The author of Hebrews talks about running a race. And by race, he means faith and obedience to Jesus Christ. Being made holy, doing the will of God, faithfulness and spiritual growth. And Jesus is our forerunner. He's our pioneer. He is the one who has gone before us. And in Christ, we have, first of all, a new covenant. A covenant is a relationship based on promises. And God is always the one to initiate and set the guidelines of his covenants. In Hebrews, he says, He, Jesus, suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. He shared in our humanity. He is our merciful and faithful high priest, and he was able to make atonement for our sins. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood, therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Christ is a mediator of a new covenant now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sin, the sins of many people. Ultimately, in this new covenant, we have forgiveness through the blood of Christ and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Turn over to Ezekiel chapter 36 real fast. Back in your Old Testament to the prophet Ezekiel chapter 36, beginning in verse 25. This is what God says through the prophet Ezekiel. Chapter 36, beginning in verse 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Over in Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 14, the Apostle Paul talks about God's law in the Old Testament. He says, you know what, anything that comes from God is good, and God's law is good. You know what the problem is? The problem is me. And even if I have good intentions, I can't always carry that out. I can't always carry out what God wants for me. Though God's law is good, but I struggle with my flesh. What a wretched man I am. Who will save me from this body of death? Then he answers his question. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Then in chapter 8, he talks about life through the Spirit. That through the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm able, able to overcome the misdeeds of the body. 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, he says that we are ministers of a new covenant. The letter kills. God's law shows us what we're, what we, how we've fallen short. But the Spirit gives life. You see, I don't just have a high bar of codes to try and live by, as pinned on paper. I have the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, who lives in me and enables me from the inside out to become the person that God has called me to be. We once just had a map, but now we've got a map. We've got a GPS. We've got an unlimited supply of fuel, a brand new car, and a bridge over water. That's what we have in our new covenant in Jesus Christ. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 8. Chapter 8, beginning in verse 6. The Hebrew writer says in verse 6 of chapter 8, But the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior, superior to the old one, and it is founded on better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel at that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. God is going to be with his people, inside his people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. In Christ we have a new covenant, but we also have a new confidence. It's not a confidence in ourselves, but it's a confidence in Jesus Christ. The Hebrew writer says, We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly to the end the confidence that we had at first. He says, Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The hope offered to us greatly encourages us We have this hope as an anchor, firm and secure. We have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus Christ. In chapter 10, beginning in verse 32, he talks about the confidence that they have had in Jesus Christ. In chapter 10, verse 32, he says, Remember those earlier days after you received the light, when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult, persecution. At other times you stood side side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and you joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what has been promised. 
In Christ, we have a new covenant. We have a new confidence in Him. But we also have a new commitment. He says, We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. He who is coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous one will live by faith, and if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? There are grave consequences for turning away from Jesus Christ. In him we have a new commitment. But lastly, we have a new community. Hello, church. We have a new community. The last race I ran was a few months after I moved here. One of our teens at the time asked me if I would come over to MacArthur High School and run in a charity race. I accepted the invitation, and when the gun went off, I was running with the pack. All the cross-country runners, I was one of them. I felt young again. After about 15 seconds, it was amazing how reality just began to set in. By the time I crossed the finish line, I think most of those runners had gone home and were watching TV or having dinner. I struggled through that. You know, I can't help but notice, but in, in a race, everyone just kind of takes care of themselves. You know what I mean? You just kind of focus on what you're doing, trying to get through, trying to get by, trying to get to the end. Yeah, you see people, but you don't really see them. And I can't help but, but, but think that in our race, in our life as Christians, Sometimes we're just like that. You know, we see each other, and we see people, but we don't always see them. We just kind of pass on by. Kind of do our thing, kind of take care of our daily agenda. But here's the truth that the writer wants, to, wants you to know, wants us to know today, is that you and I were, not, were, were meant to be inspired. We were meant to be inspired, but also we were meant to inspire others. He says in chapter 3, verse 13, but encourage one another as long as it is called today. Encourage one another daily. Because the race is every day. So that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We were meant to inspire others and to be inspired. That's God's community. See, the Hebrew writer, as he writes, he doesn't say, you guys or me. All through the book of Hebrews, he says, let us. Let's do this together. It's about us. It's about running together. When I was a student at Oklahoma Christian University, the small church in the small town of Kingfisher, Oklahoma, asked us to come and do a gospel meeting, to do a student lectureship. And so each, they gave each one of us a let us passage from the book of Hebrews. At the end of it all, they had a big salad dinner because, you know, let us sounds like lettuce. So let's have a big salad dinner after the gospel meeting. It makes sense, right? I'm sure there was a lot of cheese on that salad. Um, but that's what they did. Let us. Let's do it. He says, therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful 
that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. Let us, therefore, make every effort to enter that rest so that no, no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. Let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. I'm going to push you a little bit and you better push me too. Let us encourage one another. And so since we have all these things in Christ, since we have a new covenant, since we have a new confidence, since we have a new commitment, since we have a new community, he says, I want you to run. Run with everything that you've got, with all the strength that God gives you. Chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. One of the great race movies from the early 80s, I only watched it because my parents probably made me watch it, Chariots of Fire. One of the great quotes from the runner there, he says, he says, I believe that God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. When I run the race marked out for him, you know, I feel his pleasure. Wilma Rudolph was someone born in 1940 with a lot of illnesses, prematurely. Her parents noticed that at the age of two that her legs were becoming deformed. They took her to a, to a doctor and the doctor said, you know, the best this kid's going to be able to do is walk on braces. I'm... Sorry to tell you that. But that wasn't good enough for her mother. Every week for two years, she would drive 50 miles one way. She would get physical therapy for her daughter. She would learn a lot about physical therapy. After two years, she could basically be her, her own kid's physical therapist. She worked with her. Her family worked with her. At age 12, she walked without braces. Step by step, she went on to be a runner. And she also became the first American woman to win three gold medals in a single Olympics. She later said, My mother taught me very early to believe that I could achieve any accomplishment I wanted to. And the first was to walk without braces. You need to run with perseverance. Be relentless, he says. Run with perseverance. Many of you have read this book, Unbroken, before you've heard about it. It's going to be a movie coming out Christmas Day this year. But in this movie, in this story, in this true story, a man by the name of Louis Zamperini was a great Olympic runner. He became an airman in World War II. His plane crashed in the Pacific Ocean. He and a few of his friends survived. They floated on a life raft over 2,000 miles across, across the Pacific Ocean starving, almost dying of thirst, sharks swimming around their life raft, sharks jumping up into their life raft, being shot at by airplanes, and yet that was just the beginning. They end up in a prison camp in Asia 
tortured, starving. Months, years go by. And the people that held him prison, prisoner found out that he was an Olympic winner. And I want to read you this short excerpt from what he experienced one day. When spring arrived, Afuna officials brought into a Japanese civilian and ordered Louis to race him. Louis didn't want to do it, but he was told that if he refused, all captives would be punished. The race was about a mile and a half. In laps around the compound, Louis had no intention of winning and lagged behind for most of it. But as he ran, he found that his body was so light that carrying it was surprisingly easy. All around the compound, the captives watched him breathless. As the finish approached, they started cheering. Louis looked ahead at the Japanese runner and realized that he had, he had it within himself to pass the man. He knew that what would happen if he won, but the cheering and the accumulation of so many months of humiliation brought something in him to a hard point. He lengthened his stride, seized the lead, and he crossed the finish line. The captives whooped. Louis didn't see the club coming at his skull. He just felt the world tip and go away. His eyes opened to the side of the sky, ringed with the faces of captives. It had been worth it. He calls Christians to be relentless. And lastly, he calls them to refocus. Verse 2 and 3 of chapter 12, he says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus is the ultimate example of inspiration. And he says, I want you to refocus on him. You see, right before this in chapter 12, he's been building up to, to some great examples of inspiration. In chapter 11, verse 24, he says, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God, rather to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He, he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking forward to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. He refocused. In 1992, a British Olympic runner by the name of Derek Redmond was running in a very important race. And right in the middle of that race, he pulled a hamstring. He knew he was done, but he wanted to finish the race. And so he hobbled along. It wasn't a few seconds that he realized that there was the arm around him. And there was an arm that was grabbing his left arm and putting it around his shoulders. And he looked over. It was his dad. His dad had run down when he had saw what had happened. He pushed away security. He said, I'm going to help my son. We got him to the end. Let's do this. Let's run the race with perseverance. In Jesus Christ, let's do it together. Do you need to begin this race? 
Maybe you're here and you've never been baptized into Jesus Christ, accepted this new covenant, had your sins washed away by His blood, and to receive the gift of His Holy Spirit. Do you need to get back on your feet and get back in the race? God can give you your second wind. Tonight, you may be only be able to, to barely crawl. Maybe that's all you can do, is just crawl. But God can meet you where you are. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet. Take only ways that are firm, so that, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed while we stand and while we sing.